Good morning, folks. So we are continuing our sermon series on reimagining church and looking to the early church for lessons about how did they thrive and survive and, and what can we learn from them and apply to this season in our life when it feels like we need to, to figure out how to thrive and survive in some new ways. And this topic uh, is the one I've been a bit concerned about. Uh, our topic today is on being holy people. And when we talk about holiness or godliness, if we're being honest, man, it like shuts the conversation down. It shuts it down so fast. It is, we hear those words and we think, oh my gosh, that's so not who I am. Or I'll never live up to that expectation. Or what are the, the rules that I have to follow in order to fall into that category? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like being at a party that people don't really know who you are. And then they finally ask that question. So what do you do? And then you tell them, I'm a United Methodist minister. Boom! You can see it. They're going through, okay, have I told a joke that I shouldn't have told? What have I said in the last 15 minutes? Every single time you can see it happen. It's like a wet blanket falls on the conversation until they can adjust and figure out, all right, how do I need to act now in front of you? Um, it's the same thing happens when we start talking about holiness. Now, we could talk about salvation and people get inspired and excited. Theologically, we could talk about grace and y'all are like, bring it on. I want to hear more. I need more. And then we start to talk about holiness and you're like, maybe not. Maybe I'll check out of this conversation. So I invite you to hang with me today because I think that, that this is an opportunity for us to maybe look at this idea in a little bit of a, of a different way. The reality is, though, friends, uh, that what Christ calls us to do is to live a holy life. Like, this is actually the main point. It is the goal of, of, of how we live our lives today until that beautiful time comes when we get to be in Christ's presence forever. And we as Methodists should understand this better than most because we have language for what we're talking about today. So when we talk about the salvation and the grace and that moment in which we accept what Christ has done for us, we call that justification, that that's justifying grace that is working in our hearts where we can, can claim this gift that Christ has given us. And in fact, this afternoon or evening, that's part of what we will experience and share with the compromands is a justifying moment for them as they claim their faith. But that's what it is. It's a moment. It's a moment in time. And so what happens after that is kind of the beginning and it's the beginning of this process of, of trying to live the rest of our lives following Jesus, modeling after Jesus, loving Jesus. Us Methodists call this sanctification. This is sanctifying grace that works in our lives over, over the long haul. Y'all, that's just another way of talking about becoming holy people. Think about our vision statement, not our mission statement, but our vision statement that we here at Boone United Methodist Church are becoming transformed disciples that live for the transformation of hearts, the church, our community, and the world. 
Well, that language around transformation, to, to be transformed disciples, it implies that we are different now than we were before we knew Christ, that, that we have changed, that we are different now than, than that justifying moment. Our vision statement is another way of talking about we are trying to become and to be holy people. So today we have two scriptures that are going to, they're more like instructions for how to to be and why we should be holy people. And so my invitation to you is let's hear, see if we can get some lessons for for how we can live a holy life. Um, What are some descriptions uh, for, for ways that we can be holy? The first scripture comes from Philippians 1 verses 27 through 30. Let's hear what Paul has to say to the church at Philippi. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still facing. The second instruction comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, once you have your minds ready for action and you're thinking clearly, place your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that means when Christ comes again, um, that second coming. Don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you when you were ignorant, Again, an implication of of what we were like before Christ entered our life and how are we different now. But as obedient children, you must be holy in every aspect of your lives, just as the one who called you is holy. It is written, you will be holy because I am holy. That's a quote, by the way, from Leviticus. Since you call upon a father who judges all people according to their actions without favoritism... You should conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land. Live in this way, knowing that you are not liberated by perishable things like silver or gold from the empty lifestyle you inherited from your ancestors. Instead, you were liberated by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a flawless, spotless lamb. Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was only revealed at the end of time. And this was done for you, who through Christ, who through Christ are faithful to the God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So now your faith and hope should rest in God. This is God, God's word for all God's children. Thanks be to God. So as we 
focus in on these early Christians and their concept of holiness, what it meant to be holy people. I began to think about how the early Christians were, in fact, Jews. Most of them, many of them, um, early on, were, were Jews trying to figure out how to make sense of their Jewish tradition with Christ as that promised Messiah uh, being fulfilled. Well, when we think about Judaism, the Jewish people, this concept of being holy people, oh, it was fundamental and critical for them. We have half of the book of Exodus and all of the book of Leviticus were laws that God gave Moses in order to help the people become holy people, to be his chosen, special, set-apart people. We also know that it didn't go so well for them over time. Uh, that eventually they had an epic fail, and along comes the exile. Uh, Those of us that are in Disciple Bible 3 this year are reading the prophets, and we've read Amos, and we're reading, reading Hosea this week, and all of those prophets are examples of what was happening, how the, the Israelites were failing to be God's special, holy, set-apart people. And two of the biggest transgressions against God's law, against what God called and asked and longed for them to be, was first of all, worshiping false gods, other gods, idolatry, was a huge issue for them. And then also this abuse of social justice, this this desire God had tried to teach them to care for one another, especially the poor, especially those that that were, were disenfranchised and on the fringe fringes, uh, the, the people had completely um, forsaken that and were putting themselves first. And so the epic fell led to the exile, which led to spreading the Jews all across the, the Middle East. But they came back together, tried again, worked for a while, and yet again, another epic fell. Along comes Christ. God realizes this isn't working. Since Christ, whose death and resurrection offers us another way. And the reality is, our life is kind of like that. Like, there will be moments when we get it right. And we're living into this holiness and we're like, yes, and we celebrate those moments. Because there will be also epic fails in our life. And there will be moments when we give thanks to God for this gift of grace because um, we fall short. And, and, and that's okay because that's just the pattern of, of what this journey of trying to be holy people looks like in reality for us. So let's look at these scriptures and see how they might help us to get it right, uh, to increase our holiness. The passage from Philippians, that first verse is really the focus verse, uh, verse 27, where Paul says, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Now there's a lot going on here. And unfortunately, this is one of those moments where the English translation loses some of the, the meaning, the intention behind what Paul was saying. The Greek words used by Paul here actually mean something like this. Live your life worthy of the citizenship that you have been given as part of the Christian community. The more obvious choice would have been to use a, a word like lifestyle. Live, a, live your life in a lifestyle worthy of the gospel. But 
Paul didn't choose that word. He chose a word that meant citizenship. And it was a clever word choice for the people of Philippi. You see, Philippi was a Roman um, city and they were very patriotic to Rome. They were very loyal uh, to Rome. They, they did not like things that were going to disrupt their society. And those early Christians were disruptive. And so they had a, they had a, a little bit of a hard time. The Philippians gave them a hard time, which is what Paul is writing this encouragement to them, why he's writing this encouragement to them. But they also understood by using that word citizenship what that meant. They understood that their own Roman citizenship, because most of the people in Philippi were Roman citizens, that it brought with them to them privilege. It also brought uh, certain obligations. So for Paul to use that word within this context of being a citizen of the Christian community, they realized that it also brought privileges but it brought behavioral expectations as well. The other thing that it implied is this sense of membership, of being part of a a whole community and not just an individual person of faith. And so they were holy people together, not a collection of holy individuals. So what is a life worthy of Christ's gospel? There are a lot of ways that we could define that. And there are uh, lots of places in scripture where Paul does continue to, to flesh that out. We're going to work on that a little bit today. Uh, but, but in this particular context, he emphasizes that, first of all, living a life worthy of the gospel is to stand firm in that gospel, to be proud of that faith, to not hide our faith, but to, to own it and to claim Layman. And then he also encourages them to be united in one spirit as you struggle together to be faithful. So, so a reminder again that they're in this together, that the united doesn't mean that they're all in agreement, but that they hold that common denominator, which they all share, which is that they are one in Christ. And they hold on to the common denominator of Christ and then um, deal with, with the rest This worthy life for the early Christians was integrated in all that they did. And I think this is one of the tricks and the most important thing for us to pull out of this Philippians passage is uh, how can we, we learn from these early Christians how to integrate this worthy life into all that we do. We need to figure out how to not compartmentalize our lives so that when we're at church, we're like, oh, this is the churchy person. I need to to be the churchy person with the churchy behaviors. Oh, I'm at work or I'm at a party or it's the weekend. So I tuck my churchy self away for the moment. Holy people don't apologize or hide their faith from others, nor do they try and hide parts of their lives from God. So, Let's shift gears and look at the first Peter passage. And I've been thankful this series has taken me into first and second Peter's a lot. And, and that's a, 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 that's a, a part of the Bible that I just hadn't spent as much time with lately. And so I've been grateful for the opportunity to dig back into, to those two, two books of the Bible. But first Peter, um, well, first of all, as I said when I was reading it, it quotes directly from Leviticus eleven forty four and 45. Be holy as God is holy. Uh, God is saying to Moses, all right, I'm holy and set apart. And I'm calling on you to be holy as a people, to be holy and set apart with me. 
But the build-up to this passage that I just read are the verses that come right before it in uh, verses 3 through 12. And what has happened is that is kind of a recitation and, and a giving thanks of all of the gifts that God has already given us and to celebrate God's faithfulness to us. So today's text that I read then speaks to our Christian responsibility that goes along with receiving these gifts of grace and salvation um, what, with Christ uh, and from Christ through his resurrection. The point is, we've been given these gifts, so now what are we going to do with them? What is our response? Peter encourages us to leave behind our old life and to embrace this new life of holiness of Christ. So again, it's this transformation that that something happens after we accept this gift from Jesus and this love from Jesus, then we become different people and we transform and we leave behind that previous life. We were destined to be God's people. This is God longing for us from the very beginning. And we can see how badly God wants this for us. God sent the prophets and tried to help shape and, and um, reform the people. And that didn't work so well. And he realizes finally he's got to send Christ. That only Christ is going to be able to help us to accomplish um, this this holiness, this fully of loving God and loving neighbor. And then God even sends the Holy Spirit to continue to work with us today. But the challenge is, among many, that we get caught up in the wrong things in our lives. Just like the Israelites who, during the time of the prophets, got caught up in their own wealth and in um, hedging their bets and in worshiping all of the gods around them and not staying loyal to Yahweh, the one Lord and God. We have the same problem today and we get caught up. Uh, The scripture says that those who get their heart focused on perishable things will perish Perishable things like silver and gold and unrealistic realities. Those are the things that will come and they will go. But those who set their hearts on that which endures will endure. And the teachings and the things of God and the relationships with God, those are things that endure. And so holiness of God's people also builds up the community because part of living out this holiness, this life of, of, um, of holiness involves uh, three things. It involves love of God, uh, that, that keeping God as number one, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and spirit um, keeps us focused on God. Purity of self, which means that our response to God is to try and be obedient to what God asks of us, to put God above the, the distractions and the temptations and the things of this world. And then the third piece component is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not only this personal relationship, the vertical, as I call it, relationship with God, but it is also the horizontal relationship that we have with one another. But there are significant challenges to being faithful to to this call of holiness. One of them is individualism. We fight that all the time because we end up focusing just on ourselves. 
what, what is best for me? What is, what is, what is going to put me in the best light? What is going to earn me the most money? What is going to help me have access to whatever it is I want to access or to be successful as I define successful? And so that individualism causes us to lose sight of caring for those around us. Consumerism is another challenge that we face. We live in a world where we have access to everything and we seem to to want anything and everything. And then we're motivated by doing what it takes to be able to, to have this access to consume all that is around us. And I think maybe one of the most important challenges we have to living this holy life is shame. We're imperfect and we are unable to meet these expectations um, consistently and all of the time. And because of the shame that that makes us feel, a lot of times, just like I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon, we just, we just shut it down. We don't even go there because we don't want to, to be told how short we are, are coming up. That it feels like this conversation is setting us up for failure. It feels like God is a demanding parent that we're only going to disappoint. But I encourage us to to hold that for a second. Because maybe that's how we feel. And that's the shame and the work that we've got to work through. But God longs for so much more in our lives. And God provides a way in which shame does not have to be uh, the outcome um, that we experience when we try and live holy lives. I want to read part of a sermon, an ancient sermon. This is from 125 AD, thousands of years ago, from one of our early church fathers, um, Clement, Second Clement. And this is what he preached. But how do we acknowledge him, God? By doing what he says and not disobeying his commandments and honoring him not only with our lips, but with our whole heart and with our whole mind. And in Isaiah, he also says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let us therefore not just call him Lord, for this will not save us. For he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but only the one who does what is right. So then, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge him in our actions by loving one another, by not committing adultery or slandering one another or being jealous, but by being self-controlled, compassionate and kind. And we ought to have sympathy for one another and not be avaricious. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us repent immediately. Let us be clear-headed regarding the good, for we are full of much stupidity and wickedness. Let us wipe off from ourselves our former sins and be saved, repenting from the very souls of our being. I wish I could preach a sermon that 2,000 years from now somebody would quote and say, yep, that's just as relevant now as it was then. Like, it to me is amazing. These words can mean so much to us today. And at first pass, maybe the sermon only reinforces this fear of disappointing God. But when we think about God as a parent, we know that our parents have some basic expectations of us that we're to live up to. And we might not always get it perfectly, but our parents still love us. And God has given us the key. We, Jeff and I talked about this last week, that God has given us everything we need to do this. Y'all, we can do this.
God has given us the capacity to love. Every one of us knows how to do that. There is something in this world that you have loved. You know how to love. So what Clement is doing is reminding us to turn that ability to love back towards God. And to turn that ability to love towards one another. And when we mess up, ask for forgiveness. That right there is a pretty good start on being holy people. So in Greek mythology, ancient sailors faced many, many dangers at sea. One of the most unusual was that of the sirens who would sing their mesmerizing songs and it would call the sailors to to basically bring their ship towards the sirens and then they would crash on the rocky uh, shoreline. But there were two famous Greeks who were able to sail by them successfully. One was Odysseus, and he did this by stopping up the ears of all of the sailors on his ship with wax. And he had them tie, tie him to the mast so that he could enjoy the beautiful music of the sirens as they sailed by, but with, with little risk, relatively little harm. But the other was the legendary Orpheus, who was sailing with Jason and the Argonauts. As they approached the siren and they began to hear the beautiful music, Orpheus took out his lyre and began to sing an even more charming and beautiful melody to the men. So you see, Orpheus, not Odysseus, represents the, the, the goal, the success that we're talking about today, the example that we're talking about today. We can try to be obedient to God by... Um, following all the rules or uh, by restricting ourselves, like tying ourselves to the mast, like Odysseus, or by limiting our, our access to the temptations simply by putting wax in our ears. But those are stopgaps, and they're not indicative of where our heart really is, and they surely are not fulfilling ways to live our lives. But when the holy desires of our heart when that capacity to love shines forth and that desire to truly follow Jesus, to love Jesus rises up within us a more sweeter song than any of the sirens of this world. So part of the work that we do as Christians in this discipleship is to help one another sing a more beautiful song. To help one another walk as fellow citizens of the Christian community. That when we sing together, that song is even more powerful than a solo. And sometimes when we start to get tripped up on choosing our way versus following God's way, it's our community of brothers and sisters that can keep us in our lane instead of chasing the squirrel that derails us off of Jesus's path. It's walking alongside our fellow citizens that help us to know to our very core what it means to love God. And sometimes it's confession of our struggles that leads to a purifying of ourselves that we just can't quite do on our own. And when we link arms and voices and resources and our best problem-solving skills, 
Our love for one another can look an awful lot like Christ's love would if he were here with us today. So do you have some traveling partners? While we might not be able to travel far physically these days, it's a perfect time to grab some Christian brothers and sisters and do some spiritual traveling. And let's join together to sing the song of God's love in this world in such a way that nothing can pull us off the path. And y'all, that's what I think being holy people looks like. Let your heart sing for Jesus. Amen? Amen.